Some of you know that I've spent most of the last year serving as interim pastor in Kirkwood. And just in the last four or five weeks, have returned to worship regularly here at my church and how grateful I am for that privilege. It's good to be back home. This morning, as we continue our look at the path of forgiveness, we read from Matthew's Gospel. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Beginning in verse 21, the scripture says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him, And forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord for the people of God. You may be seated. You know, questions tell a lot about a person. Jesus often responded to the questions that he was asked by saying or implying that they had asked the wrong question. In fact, in the opening verses of this 18th chapter of Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child into their presence And said to them, whoever humbles themselves like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, the right question would have been, how do we humble ourselves? In the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel, the expert in the law asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what does the scripture say? 
And the man replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, That's it. Do that. And who is my neighbor? The man said. He wanted to limit his responsibilities to his neighbor. So Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to illustrate that he is asking the wrong question. When he finished the story, he said, Who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Go do what he did. The right question would have been, What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor? So today, as we continue down this path of forgiveness, we come to another one of these questions. Peter says, Lord, if somebody sins against me, how often should I forgive? Seven times? I don't know about you, but seven times? That sounds pretty good to me, right? I have seven brothers and sisters. None of us gave seven times. Seven times? The rabbis allowed for three pardons. In some ways, Peter's being magnanimous, you know, seven times. Then Jesus responds, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Now, that's how the New Revised Standard Version translates that verse. But the message uh, version and several other translations translated 70 times 7. Now, if your math's good, that's 490. Now we're in the ridiculous range, right? So there's some debate, but it's somewhere between 77 and 490 times. Now, some have suggested that Jesus' words stand in direct contrast to Lamech in Genesis chapter 4 when he brags to his wife about his vengeance. He says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seven seventy-sevenfold. He's bragging about his vengefulness and his ruthlessness. But Jesus said we are to forgive 77 or 490 times. Either way, it's a big number. Now, we're kind of tempted just to throw up our hands and say, well, forget it. I'm not doing that. I can't do that. This forgiveness stuff is too hard. The problem was not that Peter asked a question about forgiveness. The problem was that he asked the wrong question question. He wanted to know how he could limit his responsibility to forgive others. How often must I forgive? But you see, God's love and forgiveness are limitless. God's mercy for sinners is not limited in any way. You see, reconciliation is the Christian's business. It's what we're about. It is about 
healing broken relationships. It is the reversal of the old law of vengeance and retribution. It is the willingness to to genuinely forgive. Now, forgiveness is not primarily an act. It is an attitude. It is a condition of the heart. As children of God, our disposition is to be forgiving, just like God's, without limits. To keep count, to keep count of the times you have been wronged is to miss the point completely. It means we have not really come to understand and have not fully experienced the forgiveness of God. I went back to look at the definition of forgiveness. I read several of them. One of them that I particularly liked said, Forgiveness is the intentional and voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitudes regarding an offense and lets go of negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increased ability to wish the offender well. Well. You see, real forgiveness is from the heart. It's an attitude as well as an act. It's not just something we do for others. It's something we do for ourselves. It is something that happens inside the heart of the forgiver. And that's why our task is to build forgiveness muscle. Now the truth is, I think there's one word that creates most of our problems with forgiveness. And the word is but. As Christians, we are so tempted to say, yes, I know we must forgive, but. Right? It is so easy to say that, to think that, to live that. We say, yes, but can we forgive if they do not repent? I mean, if they're not sorry, why should we forgive them? That sounds right. Want to vote on it? It sounds right. Jesus might have responded, can they repent unless you are willing to forgive them? And maybe there's no more powerful example of forgiveness than the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, forgiveness is not dependent upon the repentance of the offender. You can forgive. You can forgive, regardless of their response. Then we have that, yes, but, we've got to uphold the law. I mean, there's right and there's wrong, and I mean, I was right and they were wrong, right? We want our tit for tat. We want to get even. But the question on all of this is, which law are we following? Are we following the law of Moses? Or are we following the law of love? The law of Moses that leaves us slaves and never sets us free. Or the law of love that transforms our hearts and minds and sets us free. A law of love that leads us to 
forgive. Finally, we might say, yes, but does forgiveness really work? Does it really work? Now, this is kind of our pragmatic test. And maybe in some ways it's the most dangerous because it depends upon human insights and our time frames. And we are so fallible. I just want to tell you, it is incredibly easy for us to be wrong. It's incredibly easy. We see so little of the picture. And we are so wrapped up in our own emotions. Maybe the best response to this question is, how have the other approaches worked for you? Anger. Revenge. Retribution. Holding on to that grudge. How's that working for you? Is it helping you to grow? Is it helping you to become more like Jesus? Now, Jesus knew the disciples were having a hard time with this. I mean, Peter really thought he was starting out high seven times. Jesus says 77 times. So they're really struggling, and so he did what he normally did when they were struggling. He told them a story. The story is of a king who is settling his accounts with his servants. And one of his servants, the scripture says, owed him 10,000 talents. It is a debt he could not pay. And so the king decides he's going to sell the slave, sell his wife, sell his children, sell everything that he has to at least repay a portion of the debt. And the servant falls on his face before the king, pleads for mercy. He asks for more time that he might repay the debt. And what happened? The king had compassion on him. The king relented, forgave him, set him free, and forgave the debt. He was just asking for more time. The king wrote it off. Wow. What a gift. What a gift. Anybody here like to have their mortgage written off? What a gift. But the story's not over. That same servant leaves the king's presence, and on the way out, he runs into one of his fellow servants who owes him a hundred denarii. The debt is nothing by comparison to what the king has just forgiven, but he demands payment. And when the fellow servant pleads for more time, he refuses and throws him into a debtor's prison. Jesus says when the king learned about what he'd done, he summoned him back to court. How could you not show the same mercy and forgiveness I showed you? The message translation says... The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. Jesus tells the disciples, God will do the same to them if they do not forgive their brother and sister from their heart. Now that's a story. 
It's a challenging story. You see, the, the Jesus way works, but it works at the cost of a cross. All the other options are weak. Forgiveness demands strength. It's not caving in. It's not weakness to forgive. On the contrary, this approach takes incredible strength. It is alert, it is patient, and it is creative. God at work. Now, I know this doesn't make sense to the world. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. But then why are we Christians? So we have the opportunity to learn the way of Christ. To learn the way of Christ. To learn to forgive 70 times 7. To become people whose grace and mercy and forgiveness is limitless. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is in our lives. Look at what forgiveness accomplishes in the life of the forgiver. In Matthew 6.14, Jesus said, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You see, the parable of the unforgiving servant illustrates Jesus' teaching. Matthew is the only one that tells us this parable. Parables typically have one central truth. Sometimes we try to press every detail for meaning, but truthfully they have one central truth. And it's clear in this parable that verse 35 captures the truth. That's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally. No more ifs, ands, or buts. No more. We just learn to say yes to forgiveness. We just learn to say yes to forgiveness. You see, the king forgave a vast debt, even though the servant only asked for more time. The forgiven debtor showed no mercy to the one who owned just a little. One commentator contrasted these two debts as somebody owing $10 million and somebody owing $20. That's how it is with me. We pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Think about your own life today. Think about your own debts. Think about your own sin. We incur so many debts every day. Every day. The debts of others are so small by comparison. When people ask me how I'm doing, I usually say better than I deserve. I want mercy, not justice. The last thing I want is what I deserve. And I see a hand. You know, in a mysterious way, God's forgiveness is linked to ours. No, it's not some kind of a bargaining relationship. 
We don't get to forgive in order to get forgiveness. But rather, God is ready always to forgive, but he, he has trouble entering an unforgiving heart. The door of the unforgiving heart is shut against him. He cannot forgive the unforgiving person because the unforgiving closes your heart to God. The debtor jails himself or herself because he fails to open his heart to forgiveness. You see, to receive forgiveness, you have to open your heart to give it. To give it. Sometimes people have complained to me that they cannot feel or do not sense God's forgiveness and mercy. And there are a lot of people carrying around a lot of guilt. But the best way to experience God's forgiveness is to extend it to someone else. To let God forgive through you. No, it's not easy. This is incredibly difficult. That's why we must build those forgiveness muscles we've been talking about. In Luke chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus told the disciples they had to forgive even seven times in one day. And they responded by asking him to increase their faith. We should too. We should ask God to help us develop the kind of muscles that would enable us to begin forgiving. Maybe the most powerful motivation for me is to look at what Jesus has done for me. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn, an incredible hymn, in 1707. Charles Wesley, who literally wrote hundreds of hymns, is reported to have said that he would give up all of his other hymns to have written this one. The words say, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When you see the Savior, when you really see the Savior giving himself for you, when you experience his love and forgiveness, he changes your heart. He begins the process of making you to be a different person so that you can forgive others. October 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts held 15 girls captive in an Amish schoolhouse. Armed with three guns and a twisted sense of vengeance, vengeance toward God for allowing his newborn daughter to die nine years earlier, 
Charles opened fire, killing five of the girls and himself. In spite of this tragedy, the Amish community, including the family members of those girls that died, demonstrated an incredible act of forgiveness by attending Robert's funeral and comforting his widow. And they took up funds to offer financial support to his widow. How can people forgive like that? Well, they've developed muscles. They've developed incredible forgiveness muscles. Let's pray. Gracious God, grant that we would ask the right questions and open our lives to the redeeming work of the Savior. Help us to forgive like we've been forgiven. Help us to develop the muscles that make that possible. Father, I pray in these moments of response that your spirit would have freedom in each of our lives. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.